comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to episode 101 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Aaron Newworth, Jim Dietz, and Russell Latham. How y'all doing tonight? Doing very well. Good. Starting our next 100 episodes. <laughs> the next 100 starts now. Doing a lot better than those kids they met in suburbia. <laughs> yeah, your leg healed up much better than hers did, apparently, I heard, Jim. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> to be fair, they probably died. It's just as upbeat as they did when they, you know, were first found. So, I accept this. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will be talking about the episode and a whole bunch of other fun stuff tonight. Uh, can we start off talking, though, gentlemen, about crossbows? Sure. <laughs> I'm a fan. We posted it on the Walking Dead uh, TV podcast Facebook page, so if, if you are, or the, the Facebook group specifically, so if you haven't joined that, you should definitely check it out. There's lots of fun discussion in there about The Walking Dead all the time, and occasionally people post links to uh, Walking Dead news and different funny Walking Dead stuff, and by occasionally I mean like 45 times a day. Uh, one of the ones that was posted today that I found very funny was a, a behind-the-scenes video, quote-unquote, of uh, Norman Reedus first being introduced to the crossbow, and it's uh, quite enjoyable. I, did you guys all get a chance to watch it? Yes, it, it, it's, it is pretty funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. You wouldn't think it'd be that difficult to use a crossbow, but apparently uh, it, it takes some getting used to. I wouldn't think there'd be so many alternate ways to use a crossbow. <laughs> and some of which I'd like to see on the actual show, because that would just be funny. But anyway, gentlemen, what do you say we get right into the episode? Yeah, that sounds, sounds good. like a good idea. Sure. This week on The Walking Dead, Season 4, Episode 4, the episode was entitled Indifference. It was the third out of four episodes to be titled with a single word starting with the letter I, which is kind of interesting, and I think we have a voicemail about that later. And it was written by Matthew Negrete, or Negresh, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that, and directed by Trisha Blarock. And this episode reminded me a lot of 18 Miles Out or Clear uh, or a few others in terms of its uh, its structure anyway. It, it didn't focus on the whole prison. We barely saw the prison at all this week. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. a more focused episode, and I really appreciated that, which we'll get to. Yeah, which uh, prompted a couple people on the Facebook group to mention the term bottle episode. And so I thought we might take a, a, a brief pause before we even get into the discussion of the plot to discuss what a bottle episode is. Because while I understood at least some of them were saying it as a pun because of the whole uh, Bob Stuckey being an alcoholic thing, 
Uh, this is not a bottle episode. No, seriously. I know, that's, that's what, I, I that's just what the didn't make that was. connection because mm-hmm. it's, it's not a bottle episode, but that's funny. You no, know, this is pretty much the antithesis of a bottle episode, actually. What a bottle episode is, is basically an episode that's written and designed to save money. It's designed to only use currently existing sets so they don't have to build anything new. Um, it usually limits the sets to just one or two that they, they've already got built and on hand. Um, so they can use that money elsewhere uh, in an episode that's going to have a big special effects sequence or just an episode that's going to have a bunch of new sets because uh, they need the school set because uh, you know the kids in the series are going to a new school this season or something. Um, a bottle episode would be something like Breaking Bad's episode Fly, um, and quite frankly, a lot of episodes of The Walking Dead over the last couple of years could be considered bottle episodes to an extent. Um, an episode that takes place almost entirely inside the farmhouse or almost entirely inside the prison and specifically the, the cell blocks that we always see, um, they could you know, legitimately be considered bottle episodes. An episode like this one, though, where we are only in the prison for about two minutes and the entire rest of the episode is completely brand new sets and locations, that is not a bottle episode. So so just, just know for the future, bottle episode... That means you're only seeing things you've already seen before and usually very limited in its uh, in its scope of those things. Well, not only that, there was also that giant uh, um, like sea of zombies uh, at the end there where they're at the veterinary um, clinic or what have you trying to make their way out. I mean, that's a lot of special effects, a lot of makeup, and a lot of yeah, extras. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess you can technically have special effects sequences in a bottle episode. You just generally try not to because you're trying to save money. Um but yeah, the, and and they're in a brand new location, the veterinary hospital. Um, it's, it's it's completely new. We've never seen any of that stuff before, and so that means it costs money, which means not a bottle episode. Let alone a gas station and an entire neighborhood, and I mean, there, yeah, yeah, just yeah, lots of different things going on there, and a severed leg and all kinds of stuff. Community had a thought of fun with their bottle episode, where it just takes place almost entirely in the study room, and you know makes fun of the concept of bottle rooms since Abed's character. What's I forget what the name of that episode is, but that's the one that's the one where they're looking for Annie's. Pen, right? Yes, yeah. That's one of my favorite episodes of the show, actually. It's a, yeah, it's a very fun episode, and I think, if anything, <laughs> that episode kind of popularized the term of bottle episodes because more people kind of started using that more often, despite how accurate they may be using that term. So. Right, right. So, like I said, this episode is almost not in the prison at all, but we start there. In the beginning of the episode, we have two simultaneous stories. We've got Rick, who's preparing to go out on a mission with Carol. Uh, He's gassing up uh, one of their vehicles, the old uh, uh, puke green Hyundai. And he's gassing up with the same gas canister that was used to burn uh, uh, Karen and David. Something in this opening sequence that um, was kind of weird. I don't know if anybody else thought this, but I certainly did. Um, as he was like seeing the way it went down in his mind, like we, you know, in his mind's eye, we see Carol like stabbing Karen in the back of the head um, while she's sleeping or in sick or what have you. I mean, he's kind of going over the. It, it seems like it should have been the last episode, like when he was looking at the clues. Maybe that would have fit better there. But for some reason, through this whole opening sequence with Carol talking to the, to the young girl Lizzie. And, you know, in the speech he was giving, and then these slow, ponderous shots of Rick, I thought Rick was going to kill Carol. Yeah, I mean, what Rick was planning on doing was certainly something that seemed to be quite a bit in flux, at least in my mind, for most of the episode, where I kept going, is he going to do this, or is he going to do that? What is going to ha- Is he going to do absolutely nothing? Um, is he going to let Carol dig her own grave? You know, metaphorically speaking. Um, and I quite enjoyed that, not knowing what he was going to do. It um, it reminded me, actually, of the one of my favorite episodes, which is actually in the second season, the... God, I cannot remember it right now. The one where Shane shoots Otis. Um, save the last one. Um, 
and that that episode has a similar cold open where it has Rick narrating some uh, things about Shane and how he always was one that got the job done amidst this kind of flash forward of things that were crazy things that were going to happen later on in the episode. So while we're seeing Rick's side of the of the story where he's he's visualizing in his mind eye what he thinks Carol did or at least how he thinks uh, she carried out uh, the the deaths of Karen and David, we have Carol going to visit Lizzie over in the uh, over in the quarantine zone, and they they make a nice use of uh, not quite a two way mirror, but I guess it's more of a visitor zone um, for the prison where you know uh, inmates could could communicate with family members through a section of glass or something along those extents, um, it's used quite well to give some minor reflection in the scene and stuff like that, but it's a whole conversation between Lizzie and Carol um, where they're talking about how everybody in the cell block is going to die soon, and Lizzie has this interesting conception of turning into a zombie where to her it's just transformation uh, to use a Breaking Bad uh, visual, it's, it's just a transformation just in the same way that a kid turning into an adult is transformation she doesn't really seem to grasp the difference and carol tries to tell her otherwise and you know she can't she can't really consider the walkers to be human or another form of human they're just they're just dead they're just corpses and and they're a threat and uh and while this is all happening it's intercutting back and forth with uh with rick's uh, mind's eye version of what he believed happened hey jordan are you a fan of breaking bad just I'm a huge fan of Breaking Bad. Can we talk about Breaking Bad? <laughs> Just ask um, uh, The scene is was humorous to me in a sense that it's almost like Carol is, is – it's like Carol's trying to tell a child that there's no such thing as Santa Claus spoilers. Oh, man. Yeah, it did kind of have that feeling uh, a, a little bit. Um, but it, I don't know. It's interesting. It's Carol's relationship with Lizzie is something that we haven't seen a lot of, but what we've seen, you know uh, – the three of us, or the four of us, rather, have had various levels of problems with how it's played out. Like, I like the idea, but some of the actual execution doesn't seem to be be gelling for at least me personally. Um, but here we're dealing with two people who are hardened towards the zombie apocalypse in very different ways who can't agree on how they're hardened. It's almost like you know a Methodist and a Lutheran disagreeing on some like minor you know, issue of, of, uh, of religion or something where, you know, it's just something that only those two, you know, domin- denominations disagree on and everybody else either completely disagrees with or completely agrees with. It was very strange to me to see Carol having to try to talk sense into Lizzie when Carol's already, I've used the term crazy pants several times this season uh, to describe her. I mean, I, I agree to an extent and it, it just, I, I'm a big fan of what happens with with the Carol storyline in this episode, so it's like get it, it feels like it has to hit these beats before she's you know not as big of a presence. We don't know what really is really going to happen in the coming weeks, but I mean, if she's trying to impart some information onto onto Lizzie before she get before she you know leaves, not knowing what's going to happen at the end of the day, knowing that she's going out with Rick on a supply run. I, I mean, for all she knows, that she could be either being taken out by Rick or being left there or what have you. Like, I like that. I like that the show's giving us something to kind of connect with between those two, and and it's showing us that Carol has at least tried to impart some very useful information to Lizzie, and it I don't know, it, it worked for me. I, I I liked I liked a scene like this. I liked a scene that kind of given how it was kind of edited together for this cold open. I, I liked how how it played in. Oh, absolutely! And again, it feels like we're setting up Lizzie for a Ben and Billy storyline. Uh, from the books, which makes me very excited. Um, even though, again, a lot of stuff leading up to it has been weird, the places it can go I'd find very, very interesting. Yeah, 
to me, it just felt very much like a goodbye conversation. I think Carol knew at that point that she probably wasn't coming back. I mean, if you think about it, the two of them going off on a run, given how shorthanded they were and how everything was thinned out. I mean, granted, I know they're short on food, but you'd think you'd give it some more time to make sure the others came back to help secure things. So this felt very, it didn't feel, it didn't feel forced. That's not, that's not the right term, but it just felt like there's more to it than, than the stated purpose. I, I agree with you completely, Russ. I think she was kind of putting a, putting a button on it for the time being, not knowing what the kind of, what the rest, what the rest of the, you know, the day, the week, whatever would have in store for her and her, you know, adopted daughters and whatnot. It's nice that she had you know, some parting words to say. Certainly hedging her bets, you know, for sure. she wouldn't come back. Uh, interesting that we only really see her after that first episode with the girls interacting with Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wish we'd see at least, you know, Mika being there, even if she didn't say anything, even if she's just mostly listening. Um, it's strange to me that we're only really getting scenes with the two of them. But, I, I'm, you know, I understand working with children, particularly on film, is very difficult. There's very strict laws about it, but it would still be nice to see. Yeah, I was going to say three world, three words. Child labor laws. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, even if you just have an establishing shot of her being there in the corner, not really paying attention, and then you never show her again, that's enough for me to be at least be like, okay, at least I'm not forgetting about this character. So they should have just used Mika like they've uh, used Chris Hardwick on uh, Talking Dead and just do a bunch of establishing shots of him nodding his head so he's not spoiled by the interviewee that... Uh... He's talking to. Yeah, and props to him for admitting. Yeah, that, that by was the funny. Way. I really, you know, it's it, very surprising. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like every time you watch it, it's like all he does is just sit there and nod his head. Like, <laughs> you know, you kind of knew something was up, so that I, I, I got a real big chuckle out of that. So after that opening, uh, mo- I don't know, montage isn't the right word, but what do you call a scene that's just cross cutting between two different storylines? Is there a term for that? I mean. Just it's. I mean, it's the cold open of the show. I don't think there's for that kind of specific thing. They'd probably use something, but I think it's safe to say after that cold open, <laughs> fair enough. I'd say. Fair enough. So Rick and Carol go out on their supply run in a. In, I don't know. I'd say a nearby neighborhood, but a neighborhood that's within driving distance. Um, and along the way, Rick isn't really saying anything, but Carol is. Rambling's not the right term. But unprompted, she is now defending her actions uh, towards Karen and David to Rick, which to me implies guilt because he's literally saying nothing and she just keeps adding on more and more. And I had to do it for this reason. I had to do it for this reason. And it was okay because of this. And she's very much trying to convince herself. But so they they finally get to where they're going. And I think right as they get out of the vehicle, Rick says something. But otherwise, he doesn't even respond. Um, And they find a station wagon outside of a house that has... Uh, don't mind the dust or something like pardon that. The written dust, on yeah. part, pardon our dust on the side of the car, which I thought was funny because you know they're walking up to it. And you can see there's writing, and you expect it to be like, you know, don't open dead inside or wash me. Uh, we're still alive, but it, yeah, it's a wash me type thing. And it was like, oh, that's a little you know, funny thing from from before the apocalypse to see. So they find this vehicle. It's clear because of the dust being written on that it's only been there or at least it's been touched by human hands very recently, like within the last couple of days. And uh, they don't see anybody around, though. So they go inside one of the nearby houses uh, and they start scanning it for food and medicine. Uh, They're looking for any type of food they can find and first aid kits, that kind of stuff. And uh, they're they're surprised by a zombie. 
which comes down the stairs and almost lands on Carol. Carol takes it out, and then they hear some more noise from upstairs in this uh, this one house. And out from the bathroom come Sam and Anna, the two reddest of red shirts I have ever seen. Yeah, if you didn't yeah. know these two characters were going to most likely die, I mean, it's it, it could have been written on their forehead to make it a little more clear, I guess. It, not, not only that, I was kind of wondering how they survived that long. That, yeah. You know, I mean, I know they said they got separated from their, their pack or whatever, but still, I'm just like, really? I mean, they, I mean, they survived yeah. inside of a bathroom for two days because of one walker outside the door, so they, they yeah. have good locking door skills, apparently. <laughs> They're the masters of unlocking. <laughs> hey, a little Resident Evil reference for all the oldsters out there. Oh, zombie fun. Now, you guys are familiar with the old game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, sure. That's where where you would link up actors with the movies that they've been in together, and so you would link one actor to another actor through a movie that they've been in until you get Six Degrees separated from them, and the 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 common knowledge, if you will, is that you can get from any person in Hollywood to any other person in Hollywood within just six degrees of separation, and Kevin Bacon's in there because it rhymes. Well, you could you specifically could get to Kevin Bacon within... At, because at he's in so many things, with and because with he's, many. he's named after the most awesome food. Yeah, yes, those are the reasons. Go on. So I found an interesting, not quite six degrees of Kevin Bacon connection um, in this episode, but since you already brought up Breaking Bad, as I did, uh, Aaron, I thought I might touch on this because I thought it was kind of interesting. So two weeks ago now, was it on The Walking Dead? We had that episode where the zombie. Uh, had their face smushed right through the fence by the weight of all the other zombies behind them. Yeah. Yeah, that yep. was my zombie kill of the week. All right, so y'all remember that. And I hope, Hopefully the listeners will remember that as well. Tasty. So that was The Walking Dead. Now, two episodes later, we have this character, Sam, played by the actor Robin Lord Taylor, who I saw and immediately went, I know that guy from something. I can't think of what it is. You know, he's one of those guys. So I Googled it when the episode was done, and, and I know him from the movie Accepted, the 2006 film, with uh, Justin Long, I think Louis Black is in it. Justin Long, Jonah Hill, uh, Adam Gershwin, and an actor named Jeremy Howard. Now, if you've seen the movie Accepted, you'll remember Jeremy Howard as the really weird guy who thinks he has uh, telekinetic powers and uh, may actually have them by the end of the movie, or pyrokinetic. I forget exactly. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Anyway, the only other place I've seen that actor is in an episode of Breaking Bad. And in that episode of Breaking Bad, Jeremy Howard is high on methamphetamines and is rambling about nothing else other than how afraid he is of chain link fences. Because if you are surrounded by too many people, you could be pushed right through a chain link fence. So that is your six degrees of separation between Walking Dead and Breaking Bad for this week using two actors and a very strange concept that happened to appear twice on the same network being pushed through a chain link fence by the weight of people behind you. And we'll be putting up the PowerPoint presentation and the flow chart showing all that on the website. There will be some Venn diagrams, etc. I can't wait uh, yes. to hear more references to old college, high school comedy movies like Accepted or Whatever the hell else, can't hardly wait. Whatever else, clean to come across. <laughs> Ten things I hate about you. Easy A. Oh, I like Easy A quite a bit. Easy A is a good uh, movie. What's the difference? What's who's, who's the actor? I always forget his name, but he plays the dad. He's in Hunger Games. He's in Captain America. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Yeah, Stanley Tucci. I love Stanley yeah. Tucci in Easy A. He is Tucci. hilarious <laughs> in that movie. So. 
back to Walking Dead after that uh, third oh, is that, Breaking Bad digression. Is that, is that what we're talking about? We're talking about Walking Dead. <laughs> okay. I, I heard a rumor that that was the case. Uh, I can't verify it, though. So they run into Sam and Anna, who are a couple of, uh, I guess you could say, post-apocalyptic hippies. Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, yeah. or, or hipsters, hipsters or something along this line. Um, nice guys, not very long for this world. It's pretty obvious from the beginning. They're just too damn nice. Yeah, when you explain that you, you have a gun, but it would probably take you five or six shots to get one zombie, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Thanks for trying. <laughs> but they do have apricots. True. So they've only been in that neighborhood for two days. Um, they explain that they kind of move around constantly. They don't wait for a group to fall apart and get destroyed. They just keep going. Um, and Sam has some minor wounds. Um, he has a dislocated uh, shoulder, but Carol patches him up. Apparently, she learned how to do that back when she was in an abusive relationship. Uh, she Googled it uh, to see how to do that for herself, because it was easier than explaining it to ER nurses, which is a, uh, a horrifying thought. Well, it's interesting, because when she does it, Rick is kind of looking at her askance, like, how the hell does she know how to do this? And it's not until later that she discloses that. Right. That she looked it up herself on the Internet. That was the second time in a brief period of time where something happened, and I thought, okay, maybe, you know, he, Rick is coming around and seeing that even with her flaws, she's very useful. Uh, the first time he saved her, you know, when the zombie was falling down the stairs, he, you know, shouted out to her and made her move back. And then when he's looking at her, he's kind of impressed with the fact that she was able to fix his shoulder, so... I, I, it kind of, I, I guess maybe it was like a, a, a false positive kind of thing going on. I, I kind of started coming around to the fact that, well, maybe this is going to end okay. Maybe this is their, you know, they're going to have their, uh, walkabout and, you know, they'll, they'll have their, you know, understanding with each other and, and Carol will understand where Rick is coming from. Rick will understand where Carol is coming from. They'll agree that, you know, maybe moving forward, they'll consult, you know, she'll consult him or the group or whatever before she kind of acts on her own. So I thought I, it just, like I said, it just kind of had my mind spinning the other way. And as we'll, as we'll get to that, uh, that definitely wasn't the case. Russ, I, I know what you mean because I do, I do think that the, you know, this, this whole Rick Carroll plot does serve as, as much as this is a Carroll story, it does work to Rick's advantage too. Cause you're seeing him. What I took is that he, he is kind of throughout the day considering his options on what he wants to do with Carol. I don't think he actually reached the conclusion that he, gets to regarding her until we got to the end of the episode i think he did take yeah. the day to kind of observe carol on the supply run and just see you know how what what he feels like his interaction would be in weighing her usefulness versus the choices that she feels that she would make in certain situations so i i, I think it did work to the episode's advances of showing kind of rick's reactions to carol's actions it, it was almost like Rick was giving Carol the three questions, right? Yes, very much so, yes. You know, agree with that. Yeah. And, it, and to accentuate it, one, one of the things I noticed is when Rick asks Sam the first question, like, he doesn't even get the full question out to him. You know, he says, how many have you zombies have you killed? And then, boom, they cut. I can't remember if it was commercial or they cut back to Daryl and crew. But, yeah, I just cut to another scene. But, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. yeah, but they cut it off right there, and I'm like, and that's when it kind of hit me. I'm like... This is this is about Carol's three questions, you know, quote unquote three questions, not about him questioning these people. You know, this is this is her test. It's fun to see how strong a show is able to establish something like that too, where he just asks kind of one question and it cuts it off immediately. You don't even have to follow up or give a real kind of reminder of what this is because you just it, it, you're just kind of clued into what's going on already with that kind of yeah. Scene. They're trusting the audience, which is always appreciated. Yes. And dangerous. <laughs> 
So in addition to Sam's dislocated shoulder, Anna also has some issues with her leg. I guess it had been broken at some point in, in previously and had healed sideways, if you will. <laughs> These people. <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. And it has a very distinctive tattoo on the uh, on the calf. I was going to say, it shut off her rat ink, dude. <laughs> her breaking it like that. Totally. So, like you guys said, they asked them the questions, you know, how many zombies have you killed? How many people have you killed? And why? Although we don't see all of them on screen. Because, you know, Sam and Anna want to come back with them. You know, they want to come back to the prison if they can. And, uh, you know, Rick warns them, you know, I can bring you back. We can bring you back. But... We've got this really bad flu outbreak right now at the prison. You may be safer out here completely separated from us. But they decide they want to come on along with them. And, uh, you know, they they want to help Carol and Rick look around for more supplies. And Rick wants them to just stay put because, like we've already pointed out multiple times, they're fairly useless. And Carol, you know, urges them to look for supplies against Rick's witches. And it's clear that they're not too much of a fit for what the work is. And Rick does not want them to go anywhere, but they insist... And it's all a big mess. But Rick eventually gives them um, both handguns as well as his watch. And he tells them, be back here in two hours. And if you need help, shoot the guns in the air and we will come and find you. This is where I, in retrospect, given what we'll get to later, I was a little confused because Carol makes a point of saying that they should come with and help, which to me was basically saying these people are okay. Uh, We should let them in. But then... Later on, she's so quick to be like, "No, we need to get out of here. They're not coming back. We need to. We need to bail." It. It just. That's the only part of the episode that just kind of had me scratching my head a little bit. See, I read it as she was worried Rick was going to just straight up murder her, like kill her, and she wanted other people around so he'd be less likely to do. I it. wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I was I thinking that, that too. I was thinking that too. I no, I, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't think that. I, I that wasn't on my mind. I thought it was more of. I th- I think Carol's just quick to. Realize the usefulness of certain scenarios and see the inevitability of certain scenarios at this point. I think she sees, like, two people that are healthy to an extent um, and ones that, you know, it, it does – in her mind, it seems like an obvious choice not to just straight up abandon people that that can come back, that can find sanctuary with them and, if anything, be – a helpful resource to have in, in terms of having people that are healthy help out at the prison for the time being, as opposed to having just sick people and like what four, four or less healthy people. But then you get, yeah, you get towards the end of the episode and they're not back. And Carol sees that the, the she's already seen one person that's dead. She knows who these people are. They're not the, you know, they're not the quickest on the draw. And so she, she's able to make the reasonable assumption that time is up and that they need to leave. Like it, it it, it it didn't it, it felt it felt right to me. It didn't feel confusing. I think, but I also didn't think that I didn't think that she was using it to for the sake of having witnesses or having Rick be less um, conflicted about you know straight up murdering her. I think that didn't come across my mind. Fair enough. That's just what I thought was going on. Well, you're wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about Breaking Bad? Now? Uh, so, meanwhile, while this story it's over, is Jordan, on, let it go. It'll never be over, Jim. It's just, you had the same problem when Lost ended, dude. Let it it's go. It's not over till we say it. It's not over till I say it's over. <laughs> so, while this whole storyline's going on, where Rick and Carol are meeting up with the reddest of red shirts, uh, Daryl, Michonne, Bob, and Tyrese are still out on their mission. Remember, they got separated from their vehicle last week after, uh, well, after they ran into a herd of 7,500 zombies. So, we pick up with them. 
They're uh, at a little crick, and uh, Tyrese is washing the myriad zombie guts he got on his shirt, off of his shirt, in the crick this time, and they're kind of trying to tell him that he needs to hurry up and come along with them, but it's clear right from the get-go that even though Tyrese fought through that horde of zombies to get to them at the end of last week's episode, he's still not quite all there. He's still very distant. I'll say right now that I was more on board with Tyrese this week. Um, Last week I was irritated by kind of the shifts it made to get him to where he needs to be this week, but I do think that while he's still making brash decisions that could easily get people killed, and that's not a good thing, (laughs) I think that for the purposes of convincing drama on this show it, it it made sense for his actions that took place this week based on the the setup while clunky that i got last week so i was i i i think chad coleman's performance as tyrese in this episode i think it paid off for the most part i think i'd agree with that so they eventually get to an auto shop because they're looking for a new car and this auto shop is just completely overgrown with vines and weeds and such and so they start cutting away brush from the front door, um, and Tyrese is just going at it whole hog, and they keep telling him, calm down, man, you're going to tie yourself out, uh, then you're hacking away at the vines, and he accidentally uh, severs some wires that are holding the door shut underneath the vines, and that opens the door behind the vines and lets a group of walkers out, and in kind of a cool scene, it's the walker hands and heads coming out from this very thick underbrush and grabbing our survivors who have to fight their way free from a small number of zombies, but still zombies they just were not expecting. I like the set design on in this area. I mean, if I, if you guys saw The Talking Dead, they kind of went and talked a little bit about how they did it, and they made a point of saying it's been about a year and a half since the zombie outbreak, and that when they kind of venture out, they're going to have to start showing things being a little more overgrown, you know, nature taking over, that kind of thing. So I, I thought it was kind of cool that we're seeing an area, and they actually use plants that are native to that area that, that I think they called it kudzu, which is some sort of... Yeah, that, that sounds Yeah, right. a viney weed, basically. And uh, so I, I thought that was a nice touch, uh, and, and, may, and again, adds to kind of the believability of, of things that, that'll be overgrown, and, uh, you know, just one more obstacle that people have to, you know, contend with and to, to, you know, deal with. I agree with you. I think it used reality as a, as a, as a, a, a convincing set piece. It has what would happen in this kind of scenario where you, it's been a while. And so you have an overgrowing of plant life and what have you. And it sets up a, a, you know, a, a tension ridden set piece where you have zombie arms and faces coming out of plants all of a sudden. It, it was a, it was a cool idea and I think it paid off well. I also got a big um, vibe from uh, the, the Last of Us, the video game for uh, that came out re- this past year. That uh, it had, it's kind of set in this sort of post-apocalyptic world as well, and it has this kind of overgrown feeling because it's the world is essentially ended. And I that was a vibe I kept sensing throughout you know this this plotline involving the uh, Daryl's Dream Team as they go into different areas with encountering overgrown uh, plant life and what have you. And scavenging supplies as they go, which is another part of that game. Absolutely. And it also reminded me again of uh, Day of the Dead, uh, the scene very on early on in the movie, I think, if I remember correctly, the, the nightmare that the main character has where the zombie arms are coming out of the walls to grab her. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me a lot of that visually. So 
Michonne, after they, you know, get themselves free from the walkers, she's questioning Tyrese on what he was trying to do, and she's saying, you know, you're just, you're you're running completely on anger at this point, and anger makes you do stupid things, and you need to just kind of push through it and move on. And Tyrese comes back at her and says, well, you still keep going out and hunting for the governor, and uh, you can't find him anywhere, so why aren't you moving past your anger? And she eventually comes to the realization that she doesn't really have a good answer. She says she's not angry anymore, but then when he asks her, so why are you still out there looking for him? She's got nothing. She can't think of any reason. Yeah, I, I really like that interaction. Again, we're, we're starting to see more of Michonne as a character instead of uh, she who scowls. Uh, so I, I always like that. And, and just the fact that it was, you know, she said, I don't know. You know, instead of them trying to find some exposition or for her to go into some long-winded excuse or to make something up, I mean, it was pretty uh, realistic for her to just say, I, you know, I don't know. Basically, she was just kind of going with her gut and felt like it was the right thing to do and that that's what she should be doing. And I, I think it was kind of that realization that leads her to make the decision she makes later in the episode. She also made a joke earlier. Yeah. And, and had smiled like the world's goofiest smile at uh, Daryl. I'm telling you, those two can make a spinoff cop show that I'd love to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I get the feeling, though, that she has feelings for him that he's either blind to, uh, much in the same way that he seemed very blind towards a lot of Carol's affections early on in the show, um, or you know that he's just chosen to ignore. I, I mean, I don't need to like ship him. I think it just, it just seems like Michonne has a certain attitude that she feels as comparable to Daryl, which is why she can interact with him in a certain way as opposed to other characters. She sees him as a person that knows how to be on his own and could probably make it himself, but has chosen to be with a group anyway. And I think she see, she sees a lot of herself in Daryl to an extent. And she, and she I think she'd like to see a lot of Daryl in herself. <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, no. But she's also like suffered loss of Andrea, a close friend of hers for a, a better part of a year. And Daryl has just you know lost his brother. I mean, I think there's just a lot of similarities between the two characters that kind of lend themselves to being natural allies or natural friends or having a, a deeper relationship, regardless of if it's romantic or not. So that's well, fair enough. That makes sense. And I think we kind of said the same thing about Rick and her. Michonne and Rick in the, in the pilot episode that they were kind of being friendly with each other, her, her more so than him. Uh, but there seemed to be a little more, friendly banter between the two of them almost kind of a little flirtatious between the two of them and i think daryl's just because of his past or his upbringing or whatever just seems kind of oblivious to that stuff in general or he's just so focused that he just doesn't give it any mind so it, it'll be interesting or maybe it's just michonne is just kind of socially awkward and that's just the only way she knows to be friendly. And I would buy that as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember that awkward joke she had when she brought out, like, that random ceramic thing with Carl, where she said, I just I just had to save this thing. It's like, what? Like, there's this weird, like, colorful yeah. elephant thing in her head. It's just like, I, I, like, she obviously has a sense of humor, and it's just, she's, it's, it's clearly breaking through now that she's being more accepting of having other people in her life. So it's just, you know, it, it, and we only know her as the girl, the one that scowls. So it's like, okay, I, I, I like seeing things break through, and sometimes it works better than others. 
we also, speaking of Daryl, have a scene with him and Bob where Bob comes clean uh, to Daryl about his alcoholism and that he feels guilty about Zach's death in the uh, big spot in the season premiere because he feels that he put the bottle of uh, alcohol back down on the shelf too hard and that's what caused all the zombies to descend on them and eventually kill da- uh, to kill Zach. And Daryl, in, uh, in, in colorful terms, basically tells him that's nonsense and uh, you, you, can't, uh, you can't take it upon yourself so harshly. Hogwash, dear man. Poppycock. Pshaw. <laughs> That's how he said it. And they also mm. fix one of the vehicles nearby by putting distilled water into the battery. A handy skill to know. A- another great scene, too, between... There There are just a lot of great coupling scenes, if, if I'll call it that way. You know, a lot of good one-on-one interaction between these characters. And the writing, and we'll probably get to this more when we talk ratings, but... I thought the writing in this episode it was spectacular. I mean, as as much as I had took issue with the writing per se in in the previous issue, I think this one made up for it tenfold. I mean, it just just the character interactions, the speeches, the uh, the way they handled everything. Like, I didn't have an eye roll moment once. I didn't have anything that just made me shake my head uh, at all. I mean, you know, no nothing's perfect, and you know they're couple things i pointed out earlier that i that kind of had me scratch my head a little bit but there was nothing really that took me out of this at all and i it just it just like you know what you we would just went from one scene to the next to the next to the next and they're pretty close to home runs you know every time that you had two characters on screen talking to each other i can say i agree and i would have almost had an eye roll moment when bob announces his alcohol alcoholism to daryl only to have it come up conveniently within the rest of the episode but because daryl does one of what i think is the most badass thing daryl's ever done on the show it didn't really make me mind so we'll get to that later on (laughs) so we cut back over to the other story of the episode which is uh, rick and carol and uh, as they're scouring the neighborhood for food and medical supplies rick questions her about her actions with karen and david finally uh, just to see like what her feelings about it were and Carol seems very strong and unwavering about what she's done, and Rick is very upset with her uh, lack of emotion about the whole thing. And Carol questions Rick on his leadership, and she basically says, look, you can be a farmer if you want, but you can't be just a farmer, not in this world that we live in anymore. You have to be willing to step up and do things when they need to be done. And when it comes to protecting people, Rick says, you know, he never killed any of his own people. Carol brings up Shane. Rick says it was all uh, self-defense. Shane attacked him first. And, and they, they go about this for a while until they find some uh, some tomatoes that seem to be rather recently planted. Um, but I may just be biased because I live near farms and everything, so I know what tomatoes plants look like and that they're tied to stakes and stuff that wouldn't be there a year later. Anyway, uh, the point is they have a very kind of amusing, off-key off-key is the wrong term, but just kind of non-sequitur discussion about uh, Lori, of all people, and how she used to make terrible pancakes every week for the family to eat on uh, Sunday mornings. As if we needed more fodder for why we can't like Lori even after she's died. She's a crappy cook! I thought it was kind of a cute discussion, though. Dude, it's pancakes. I know what you mean, though. You know, <laughs> and I, I did like the... Um, what I, I, I like this whole kind of... I mean, I, I like this plotline in general. I like the whole Rick Carol plotline, just all the different aspects of it and i like them to having this kind of discussion about their past lives and how rick talks about what loss is to him and as opposed to as opposed to carol who carol she's she says she's basically blocking out what's happened in 
not blocking it, but you know, she's not referencing things in her life. Rick, Rick mentions like, why don't you say their names? She's specifically not saying Sophia. She's specifically not saying Ed. She she mentions these things in kind of a weird context, but she's she's obviously, as we've kind of discussed in the past, she's become hardened to these things. She's she's moved on. That's her way of kind of coping with these issues. While Rick Rick still very much has Lori in his mind and has these kind of you know his past actions. He hasn't blocked them out in an effort to keep himself moving. He's kind of embracing everything in order to keep himself going into an extent. And so it, I, I liked it. I liked, uh, I liked, you know, the diff, the kind of yin and yangs going on here and, you know, them having conversations that seem like actual conversations people would have in these kind of dire scenarios. Which is a very novel idea, unfortunately on this show. Yeah. <laughs> in many, in many yeah. times. But yeah, it is an interesting dichotomy, you know, where Rick is embracing his present and his past and and, tr- and tries not to lose sight of it. And then we have Carol, who is doing everything she can to forget it and move on and be stronger. Uh, and and it's it's funny because Carol has changed so much that you almost forget that Sophia was her daughter. You know, and and I'm not saying that as a negative criticism, but just again, I think a credit to what they've done with her character, where they've taken it, and the writing that um, you know that that. She's she's kind of, she's messed up in a much different way than she was messed up in the comics. Uh, yes, and, I mean she's diverged. I mean a completely different character, which is fine. Um, but I think she's damaged in 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 both timelines per se, but um, in in just much different ways. She's infused with a lot of and of comic. She's infused with a lot of comic Andrea with a uh, with a mixture of other elements as well. Sure, that's sure. What I'm seeing it with Carol. This is one of the points I was going to make is that it seems like she's taking kind of Andrea's role from the comic in some ways. But isn't there a point where she kind of denies Sophia? Well, when talking, it's... She's talking to the new kids. Like, like she says, you know, two daughters, but she's referring to Lizzie and the other It's girl, complicated because they ask and... her, uh, I think what the, what the specific question was, was they mentioned that people are sick at the prison. And I think they specifically ask her if her kid, if any of her kids are sick. And she says no. But then Rick gives her a funny look, and it eventually comes out. She goes, well, there's these two girls I'm taking care of, and one of them's sick. But I I feel like people are saying she was denying that she had children, i.e. Sophia, there. But I I didn't feel like that was the case. It was more just she was asked a specific question, and she answered it truthfully. Even if, you know, many people might have gone, oh, the girl I'm watching is sick, or I did have a daughter, but she's not sick, or something. It just felt like she was being very direct and to the point to me, not that she was denying anything. I agree. I mean, there's a context of, to apply to this kind of questioning, but there's also, I mean, earlier on, when um, uh, Lizzie calls Carol mom, um, she quickly tells her, don't call me mom. Like, and it, you know, it certainly sets up her state of mind and what she has going on with her in regards to who I am right now as opposed to who I used to be. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't even don't call me that, I think. And then Lizzie apologizes and she says, well, don't let it happen again or don't do that again. Like she it, it wasn't even just once that she said, you know, she said it and then reinforced it. Yes, right, she sure. emphasized it. So they're walking through uh, the neighborhood after they find the tomatoes, and uh, I believe at that point they mention Sam and Anna, and they should probably go uh, meet up with them. And that's when they open a gate and find Anna's severed leg, which you can immediately recognize because she has a conveniently placed uh, tribal-ish tattoo on the calf. 
Unless you're my friend Scooter, who was like, who's that? And I was like, come on, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) The one person with a tattoo that we've specifically spotlighted in this episode. Although at least they found a way to not spotlight the tattoo directly. They were spotlighting the fact that she had a messed up leg and it just happened to show the tattoo, which I appreciated because it wasn't as on the nose as it could have been. Um, and but then in the background of the scene of the shot, um, a good use of uh, of uh, three dimensional space. I thought Anna is being devoured by a couple of zombies, and Rick and Carol figure, well, guess it's time to get out of here and uh, go see if Sam shows up. Otherwise, we're leaving. And uh, interesting thought. Uh, I've seen a couple people bring this up since the episode, but if you take a good look at that leg, it does not look like it was ripped off by zombies. It looks like it was sawed off. It's almost a flat break in that in that leg. Do you think the governor found her or other people? If, is there something else going on here? We never see Sam again, um, but something in retrospect seemed very off. And not off in a, oh, they did that in a dumb way kind of way, but off in a, there's something else going on here type of way. I'll be happy to eat crow on this later on if it does turn out to be something more than the you know what's in front of me but for the time being i'm very content with just saying zombies got her i mean that's all i think this i don't think the scene had any other heavier implications that could go on to leading to governor or anybody else yeah i agree fair enough i still say that leg break seemed way too clean but budget <laughs> but budget on their on their props like that has never really been a big problem for the walking dead they they generally it's can, not like, can the, it's not like well. they showed you like a full 360 view of the leg either you got a leg you didn't see like how it was ripped off. You just saw kind of a flat leg laying on the ground. Somebody shot it too wide. (laughs) (laughs) So they go back to the house and they wait for Sam, but he does not show up. And uh, Rick wants to wait longer, but Carol says it's time for us to leave. And that point we cut back to Daryl. So Daryl and the others, they get to the uh, veterinary college. They're looking for surprise. Um, They get into a big laboratory type room and like, uh, like you guys said earlier, very reminiscent of The Last of Us. Um, there's a there's a set piece in that game that's very similar to this veterinary hospital um, or veterinary college. I think it might have even was it a veterinary college in the game or just a college that had like a veterinary wing? I think that's what it was. Yes, but very very similar setup and used to very creepy effects in both places. Um, so they're all grabbing different uh, different things that they're going to need. And uh, Bob notices a, a stack of books and some other things in the corner on a uh, cot. And he goes, goes over and looks at that. Michonne looks at him a little suspiciously. And the group goes around getting all their medical supplies. Uh, Bob tells them anything that ends in sin or sillin is the stuff we need. And they start popping it in uh, their backpacks and, and, and duffel bags and such as they work their way through the building. So it kind of implies that Bob has some, I don't know, I, I hate to say medical training because I they mean, say in the first episode of the season that he was an army medic or a uh, national gotcha. guard medic or something like that. He was a, yeah, an army medic. Yeah, gotcha. But yes, Makes sense, he, right. and I believe in the comics as well. He also was functioning as a doctor of some type. Did anyone else think that? I mean, I figured it was booze just because, like, why would they linger on the shot so much? But I didn't really see booze at all on the screen. All I saw were the books. And I, I, f- I freeze too. framed it, and you can see the neck of the bottle sticking out from under the books. Okay. And That's... it's the same bottle. It's not even, like, just a bottle. It's definitely the same one because it's got that same uh, wrapper around the neck. I know. I figured. And, like, I mean, the show the show makes it very obvious. So it's, like, it's not like I ever suspected anything but bottle. But I just, like, I watched it a few times, and I never paused it or anything. And I just kind of looked at it. I was like, all right, he's staring at something. But I never really thought boot. I never visually saw booze. I just kind of, like, assumed booze. But it seemed like they are emphasizing books, like, really heavily. <laughs> he's a big reader. Yeah. 
So they uh, are waking their way through the halls. They find a group of walkers inside of a, uh, it seemed like it could be a room that had been converted to a living space. So people had been living there, and you can quickly see from these walkers that they had also come down with the uh, 1918 flu-ish flu that everybody seems to have. They've got the bloody eyes and everything. Uh, so they probably died just recently and in that room right there where they had been living. Uh, so this, uh, the walkers start chasing, not really chasing, but start following our survivors as they try to make their way out of the building. They can't shoot these walkers or get too close to them because then they might catch that flu from the walkers, and that would be very dangerous. Uh, so they're doing their best to stay as far away from them as possible, um, as well as get out of the building. They eventually make their way out of the building onto a uh, some type of raised overhang type thing that's above the zombies by about a, fo- a floor, and uh, Bob almost drops his bag, and his bag goes over the side. He grabs it, and a bunch of walkers also grab it. They have a tug-of-war. He, The others tell him, just let go, just let go. Uh, he won't do it. They eventually pull him back over the side, and he's able to rescue the bag. And when they look inside, surprise, surprise, there's the bottle of alcohol. And apparently, no medicine, although I could have sworn I saw him putting medicine also in the bag, but they make a point to say he grabbed this and not medicine. Which is a little meh. Which is odd. Like, I mean, I, I like this episode a lot. I'll buy almost anything in the episode. But why in the world would he only grab alcohol? Even if he's a raging alcoholic, it's not like he had found ten bottles and only filled his bag with bottles. He, right. he grabbed one bottle and no medicine whatsoever, apparently. Yeah, I thought, sure, in the earlier scene uh, he had, but, I mean, later when they uh, you know, they go through the bag or whatever, they, they, you know, obviously, obviously the points made that he hadn't, so... It was just another big uh, example of the episode's theme that did hammer quite hard with letting things go. And uh, so why, just... why do you have that impression, Aaron? Is it because they said the phrase let go about 30 times in the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like how the theme of this episode is Breaking Bad? Exactly. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> so they have a, a bit of a, a scuffle. Not really a scuffle, but uh, they start yelling at Bob. Bob puts his hand to his side and uh, starts to unlatch his gun and Daryl does not take kindly to that gesture. He comes up to Bob and he puffs out his chest and he, I guess the term would be fronts, although front to me seems like you don't have anything to back it up and clearly Daryl does, but he, he uh, chest bumps Bob quite hard and lets him know in no uncertain terms, you take a swig from that bottle before everybody back at the prison gets their medicine and I will straight up murder you myself because you done screwed up there, son. This scene was amazing to me. Now, like, it already... Yes, Bob, like, establishes, I'm an alcoholic, by the way, Daryl. I hope that doesn't harm our friendship in the the rest of this episode, only to have it happen. And that's like, whatever. But if that brings me to this scene where I get to see Daryl... I'm going to lay it out again, just because I was so impressed with it. Daryl, like, nearly throws away the bottle. Bob puts his hand in his gun and says, don't do that. And then just Daryl, Daryl, without, like, a blink, just... Just walks up to Bob, puts his forehead against Bob's forehead, and just kind of looks at him. He gives him this hardcore look, and it just like thrilled me that this was what's happening right now. Daryl was such a badass in this moment that just made me so like so happy with like what we know about Daryl, what we know about Bob, what we know about these characters, and how this scene is playing out right now. Just from kind of visual communication of 
what I can do to you if you draw a gun on me. Like it was just such a cool moment for it. And adding to adding to what's already been a great season for Daryl, who's largely been in the background, just serving as kind of the the guy that can get things done. But it paid off like tremendously here where he gets to show a very good example of how effective he can be at not only taking out walkers, but keeping the group in line. He was almost daring him. It's it's like I dare you to pull because I will I will drop you like a bag of hot rocks. I mean, Say what again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And with like with his bare hands, you know, not even like if he grabs that gun, you know, Daryl's going to beat him to death. Well, I felt like Daryl would have just expanded his chest even more and pushed Bob directly off that uh, overhang. I don't even think he would have had to hit him. Daryl yeah. was just Daryl was exuding power in that scene. I think it's the most badass he's been in the entire show, and that's saying something. Yeah. Good week for the Vixens. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. So we then cut back to uh, the neighborhood with Rick and Carol, and uh, Carol goes to get into the Hyundai and finds the door locked, and she looks over at Rick, and he tells her, you know, Karen and David might have lived, and you killed them anyway. You took a risk, but you had no reason to think that what you did would work. You had no reason to think that they would necessarily uh, die and come back and attack us. You straight up murdered them. And he says, look, I can deal with this on my own. I don't, uh, I'm not judging you, but I'm not going to keep it from the group when we get back. I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to tell Tyrese, I'm going to tell everybody what happened, and if you come back with me, Tyrese is going to straight up murder you. The others in the group might agree with that decision. They might not agree with that decision. We might have a whole civil war going on at the prison over whether or not what you did was right. Um, or basically, are you willing to risk that by coming back with me? He doesn't necessarily tell her you cannot come back with me, but he makes it very clear that uh, he does not uh, he does not support that decision of her coming back with him. I was very torn with this because I t- I agree with Rick in the sense that it it would have torn everything apart because half of everybody would have been maybe not okay with it, but understood it and could rationalize it. And the other half would have been Tyrese's camp, which is, you know, no, you need, you need to die or you need to move on. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. (laughs) And, and so it was just, it was just a really thought provoking kind of moment, you know, where you start thinking to yourself, like, what side of the fence do you fall on? Like, if this was, if you were in this situation, how would you feel? Would you, you know, feel sympathy for Carol and understand where she's coming from? Or would you, you know, think along Rick's lines and that, you know, this, this can't go on. You know, I don't, I don't trust you anymore with my, you know, around my children. I don't trust, you know, that basically what you've done is going to drive such a wedge between everyone that it's going to destroy everything we've fought so long and hard for to establish at that prison. It really brought me closer to like what the what the Walking Dead game um, has to offer, where it gives you options of how you play the story, and the options aren't always you know clear. There's not always a right answer, and that's something I think this episode, this arc, really um, you know emphasized a lot. You, not, like taking banishing Carol from the prison or taking her back, like either of those could could you know yield different results, and but you're not quite sure of which one is exactly the right call i may have an opinion on which one i think is more effective but i mean i like the fact that this episode kind of challenges the viewer to accept what rick's laying out there and consider if he's right or wrong and i think that's the mark of you know a a good a well-written episode a well-written storyline 
Well, we we talked about it a bit last week, but um, I really like that scene with Herschel where he he comes into the scene, he has that confrontation with Rick and Maggie, and I'm watching the scene fully on Rick's side, and then Herschel makes his case, and I went, you know what? You just swayed me, and that's rare, but your argument swayed me over to your side. That's awesome. That was a really effective scene. It was short. It was effective, and I really appreciate it. This week, you know, and if we go back further, you had scenes with Dale and stuff that weren't as effective, um, or Shane that weren't as effective where someone's making their case and it just doesn't work. In this episode, I was... I was kind of in the middle on who I agreed with more. I think, Aaron, you said the same thing. Like, I wasn't, I was a little bit more on Rick's side than Carol's side going into it, but not like, you know, full bore. And by the end of the episode, I wasn't fully on either side either. But the point is, what I appreciated was that Carol's argument didn't immediately make me go, that's nonsense, and now I'm fully on Rick's side. And in previous seasons and episodes of the show, you know, we've had those scenes with Dale or with Andrea or with uh, Shane where you go into the scene and most people are probably already going to be falling on one side of the argument. And then you have your two characters giving their sides of the argument. And one of them is clearly right and makes total sense. And the other one is just nonsense. And, you know, they're doing it feels like the writers were doing their best in many of those cases to make the lesser argument, if you will, have some weight. So it made sense, but it just didn't work. And in both these cases, last week in this case, where we're given two, you know, alternate and opposing arguments, they've been equally effective. And it's hard to do to to do that because most people have preconceived notions on what they believe about things. It's hard to sway them or to give good arguments for both sides that size that isn't going to make, you know, the person watching me go, oh, one of those arguments is nonsense and I buy the other one. And in both of these cases, they did a really good job. And that makes me super happy for the show because they haven't been able to do that very well in the past. And now two episodes in a row. Awesome. What also helps is that oftentimes these episodes that focus on like one character who's all of a sudden delving information out about themselves that usually results in like their death or what have you. But this episode, you flesh out Carol more, and we already you know we have a good we have a good bit of information about Carol to begin with. We know who she is, we know who she was, but we still get to learn more about who she is and who she was, and it it pays off in this episode. I, I think it you get a very good perspective on who this person is, but it also doesn't it doesn't end with them not being a part of the show anymore because of it. And that's, that's a trap that the show's run into before. And I like that it leaves it open-ended for what's going to happen with Carol. Will she return in the season? I assume so. I don't know what, I don't know what capacity, but I, you know, I I very much doubt that we're going to, this is the last we see of Carol for some time. I feel like, it, I feel like she could come back as easy as two weeks from now. If she doesn't, that's great. Whatever. We'll see. I'm curious to see where the story's going to take it, but I, I do like that. You know, we're going we're we're going to see her again, and I, I'll be curious in what capacity. But I'm also curious as to what the show is going to do without her, uh, knowing that, given that like Tyrese is still like you know questioning what happened with Karen and David, what Daryl's going to think, what the rest of the group's going to think. There's a lot of options to consider now that this event has occurred. Carol's going to move to Montana, and that's our spinoff show. Carol's going to uh, end up being the new Merle for the governor. I completely agree, actually. I think she is going to end up taking the role of Karen in the comics, which is interesting since she straight up murdered Carol. Um, 
but or Karen rather, I think she's going to take Karen's role from the comic, and then eventually, and this is I know this is very spoilery if you know what I'm talking about, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. But eventually, she'll end up taking uh, Tyrese's uh, role in the comic, um, and. For those of you who know what I mean, when I say Tyrese's role in the, in the comic, uh, when it relates to the governor, um, I think that would kind of make sense, just in, in terms of the direction her character has been going. That's a that's a plausible scenario. I wouldn't say I think that's what's going to happen, but I can see that as an option. Uh, there is a little bit more to the episode, though. Like we said, they're having this discussion, um, and like I said, Rick says he's not going to kick her out of the prison himself, but he does say... If the prison fell apart and it's just me and my son and daughter and you, I'm not letting you stay with that group because that group of me and my children, I cannot trust you with them. Um, and she eventually says, okay, but at least let me, let, let me take, you know, Mika and, uh, and Lizzie with me. And he says, you know, he can't allow her to do that. And he says, you'll be able to survive on your own. You're strong. And uh, that's what you're going to have to do. So they load up their supplies. Rick puts some supplies in the other car, the station wagon for Carol uh, she gives her, Rick her pocket watch or, or wrist watch that was kind of broken. Um, that was a present from Ed originally, and she gives it to him. And she says, uh, you know, she should have given it away a long time ago. Rick watches Carol pull out and drive away uh, around the cul-de-sac, which I thought was interesting. I mean, cul-de-sacs are almost completely illogical now. Why would you still use them in the post-apocalypse? But whatever. And then Rick drives away uh, <laughs> down the road kind of unsure about what he's done, and uh, he keeps looking over his shoulder, or not over his shoulder directly, but into the rearview mirror, looking at where he had just come from. As he heads back to the prison, and Daryl and the other and the others make their way back to the prison as well. I got a big um, Empire Strikes Back vibe from this ending, because the episode ends in a kind of somber note where the, our heroes have accomplished a goal to an extent, and, you know, there's still action to have to happen you know later on in terms of what's going to happen with this plague and whatnot but um we end on kind of a a down note despite moving towards the next part of the adventure and it works like it, it fits like it um it feels like a closed off episode as we i mean we've established that it, it does feel like clear or 18 miles that where you have kind of a kind of singled out episode of that's my chris hardwick joke um yeah, where you have just focus a focus on certain characters this time around. The other thing with this episode is there has to be some consequence for Rick. Whether anybody thinks he did the right thing or not, he acted on his own, and I think a lot of people are going to see that that was his purpose in in taking her in the first place. And I think Rick knows that too. I think he did that knowing that there's going to be some consequence for him. Uh, but and I think he was okay with that because I think he pretty much came to the realization that. I, if you're going to stay at the prison, then me and my children cannot stay at the prison. Like we can, we, I don't trust you anymore because you're to the point where if you feel like something needs to be done for the greater good, then you're going to act on it, which I think maybe Rick sees a little of himself in that too, because I fully believe if it came down to another anybody or Judith or Carl, that he wouldn't hesitate to make the same type of decision that Carol made regardless of what anybody else thought. So, and I think it showed too, because he didn't really have a lot of uh, malice in his decision. It wasn't like he was upset or mad or, you know, enraged or anything like that. It was very matter of fact. And it was just like, look, you know, you may think you did the right thing. And, and you know, you basically only you can make peace with that. But because of what you did, I can, you cannot be, a, be around me and the children 
and you can't cause this this strife for the group. And so you did what you did knowing that there was going to be a consequence and and this is what it is. And I think, like I said, I think Rick, there has to be some consequence for Rick. I mean, if he comes back and everybody is completely fine with this, then I'm going to have a real problem with this show. And I, I don't think there's anything to lead me to believe that's going to happen. But I'm, I'm really curious to see how this gets played out. Because I do not believe for a second that Rick is going to lie to the group and say, oh, she's dead or she was taken or anything like that. Oh, for sure. I think he's the first thing he does when they come back is to explain exactly what happened. And I know it's going to piss off Tyrese. It's going to piss off Daryl. And it's going to piss off the, the council. And maybe they'll have some kind of ritual they do with this scenario. But, I mean, it's... Um, maybe that's when the robes and the guy will that's come out. Finally, yeah, we'll finally get our, our, our council fill. But, uh, yeah, it it really... It lends itself to more drama in a season that already has a plague, a missing governor, and, you know, zombies just outside of gates that are being fed by somebody that we have no idea about. So, I mean, there's <laughs> there's plenty to add on here. And, yes, I, I, I am curious as to... Where what this action's going to going to do to the other with the other character how is it how it's going to play out with the other characters? Well, before we give our Buster ratings for the episode, Russ, who is our sponsor for this week? Our sponsor for this week's episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can save a ton of money on your comics, graphic novels, uh, and various tchotchkes uh, that are geek related. There's all kinds of cool stuff at dcbservice.com or instocktrades.com. Um, and as we mentioned in the past, uh, DCBS recently acquired the website Tales of Wonder, uh, and so they are working on order fulfillment for, for Tales of Wonder as well, and it's been going uh, pretty smoothly there. So they've, they've also added uh, some clearance books that you can find on the sites, uh, some books as low as 70 cents a piece. Uh, so really cool stuff. Most Some of them, also they're, some highlights for this month of November for Discount Comic Book Service. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski, if you're familiar with him from uh, Babylon 5, uh, you know, big-time comic book writer J. Michael Straczynski, he is kicking off a new Twilight Zone series. So Twilight Zone number one from J. Michael Straczynski is 50% off this month, making it only $1.99. Um, bunch of bundles this month, too. All new Marvel Now, which is the second round of Marvel Now titles. Uh, single issue bundles you can get them for fifty percent off uh, for uh, thirty one forty two for that whole bundle, which is which is a really good deal. Vertigo, the DC imprint Vertigo, uh, first uh, single issue bundles at fifty percent off uh, for a total of ten ninety six. Uh, so really good, really good prices there. Again, if you're not into the physical books, uh, you can go to dcbservice.com, use their Comicsology portal, and earn five percent back on your purchases. So again, if you're saving up for that Walking Dead trade or hardcover or omnibus or whatever, uh, and you like the digital side of things, but occasionally like your print, uh, you can order up on the digital side and apply that 5% off to uh, to a, a print volume at some point through DCV service. Uh, on the Walking Dead side, uh, tons of stuff this month. Uh, again, you know, T-shirts, uh, all kinds of little knickknacks and stuff. As well as uh, the first bi uh, biweekly issues coming out, uh, Walking Dead 119 and 120 are both solicited for November at 40% off. So you can get them uh, for 179 off the regular cover price of 299. And if you haven't ordered from DCV Service in a year or it's your first time ordering, you could use the code WD8 and get an extra 8% off your order. So we thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. 
Absolutely. It's a great, great deal. Uh, gentlemen, what are your buster ratings for this week's episode? I'm going to go four and a half busters. I, I really like this episode, and I, I think it was it was definitely one of the stronger writing episodes. You know, it, it seems like this show sometimes can excel on the action and the tension side of things, um, and it can it can excel in the character drama side of things. And I think this episode is definitely excelling on the character interaction and just the overall writing. Uh, like I mentioned before, I didn't really have any eye-rolling moments. You know, I had a couple things that were maybe just a little clunky in my mind, but nothing that uh, that stood out to me and just a lot of gold in this episode of, of character interactions and where things are going. And I, I think, like we talked about in the beginning, the focus of this episode, I tend to like when they do these focus episodes um, where we, we kind of got the two-storyline, but again, uh, a pretty tight set of characters uh, and, and a tight storyline overall. So I was really, really impressed with this week. Yeah, I give it a four and a half as well. I think it's the best episode of the season so far. Um, I agree with all the points that Russ just made. I do think um, um, Alyssa McBride has done a great job this season, despite my misgivings about kind of the setup of her plotline in some of the previous episodes. I think she really delivered this time out for sure, as well as Andrew Lincoln. I think those two had a great storyline this week. And on the other side of things with the Daryl's Dream Team stuff, I did um, – I, I we've already mentioned that Daryl had just a great badass moment. But in general, I liked how that, that side of the story played out. It had, you know, some of the action stuff as well that kind of, you know, get you get you going in the mood for you know, you know watching a zombie show but also had like legit drama going on so yeah i, I really like this episode quite a bit i also uh, i guess I'll, I'm, I'll make it a hat trick i will give it four and a half uh, out of five and i'll tell you why uh I, aaron makes a really good point it's probably the strongest episode of the season what i come to this show to find are uh great zombie action moments and really good character moments and you know and character defining dialogue and this episode had all of that um, it has some really great zombie kills, some great action. It also has some really great character interaction, which was what, you know, obviously keeps people coming back to the story in both the comic and the TV form. Um, I just thought some of the, the dialogue here really sounded some of the best dialogue I've heard, you know, this season for sure. And the whole resolution of, of uh, at the end with Carol, just I, I was kind of. It was like I was waiting for the shoe to drop for the whole episode. You know, whether it was Rick going to kill Carol, is he going to abandon her, is he going to, you know, death by zombie, is it going to be like Otis all over again? Um, you know, it's just the, those kind of things kept going through my mind through the whole episode. Uh, so it really kept me guessing. I thought it was really strong. Really enjoyed it a lot. 4.5 4. out of 5. Well, I'll make it the whatever a hat trick plus one would be considered. Uh, some kind of turkey or something, I don't know, for bowling. Uh, I know that's also uh, three strikes, but anyway. We're, we'll uh, hit for uh, the cycle. We're hit for the cycle? A, okay. A, a fedora trick. <laughs> a wide-brimmed hat trick. Um, Yay, sports ball. <laughs> make up the points. Score all the points. That's a great, great video. Anyway, also it connected to Chris Hardwick in an odd way because it's from uh, Web Soup. But... Anyway, I'll make it the hat trick plus one, uh, a four and a half, uh, a few minor, minor pacing issues I didn't fully buy, and also some of the stuff with Bob, like I said, and like you guys have already said, Daryl's half of those you know, conversations, his reactions to them were awesome, but when you give me a scenario like Bob picking up the bottle of alcohol and no drugs whatsoever to help the rest of his group, I, I just can't fathom how any person would do something like that, so... 
it, it bothers me in a way that normally I can make up an excuse for, oh, well, this character would do X strange thing because of, you know, A, B, and C. I can't come up with a good explanation for why he would do that uh, in the way that it was presented in the show. So those couple minor things, but otherwise I really did enjoy this episode. Uh, Jim, what did our listeners think over there on the Facebook group, our ever active and buzzing and bumping Facebook group, which is so much fun? If you're a fan of the of the Walking Dead TV show, then you should definitely join our Facebook group, the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group, because there's a lot of there are a lot of cool uh, discussions that go on and uh, news as we find it is posted there, uh, kind of uh, cool diversions and things like that. For the Buster ratings for this week, everybody seemed to be pretty favorable. Uh, four out of five shameful whiskey shots from Ian Timms. Uh, four out of five uh, zombie the hedgehogs uh, from Michael Santana. Um, we're in good hands with Scott Gimple, he says, very satisfied with the show at this point. Uh, Hezra and Mac, four busters out of five, not buying the rationale for the killings, uh, for Carol, you know, Carol's rationale for, uh, for the killings. Uh, Donnie Salvo, four point, or 3.5 for me, uh, 4.25 hipster zombie bait out of five for, from Everard Santa Maria. I'm not sure how I feel about banishing Carol, but it's a justifiable decision. I'll be at unilateral from Rick. Uh, Mike Jones, uh, 4.5 characters drinking and smoking out of 5. Uh, 3 Tyrese needs go out of 5. Belinda Clark Ake says, uh, I'm crushed to see Carol go, and this seems so out of left field to me. The whole Carol murdering two people thing. Um, Mike Jones reposted that, uh, that there is zero chance the Carol story is over, over and I agree. Brad Milo, who unfortunately uh, his computer is uh, having some strange uh, demons in it and could not join us tonight. Uh, sounds off the voting Carol off the island was ballsy. My head's still kind of spinning from that, actually. I'm surprised she didn't put up more of a fight. Comic book Tyrese is much cooler than television Tyrese. I've been saying that since they introduced him, Brad. He gives a four busters out of five. 4.25 out of five for Sarah Ann Howard. I like this episode much more than last week. I think Rick's decision makes sense for where he is right now. He's back in the strong Rick, uh, Rick camp. Uh, Don Hefford, three out of five. There are a number of eye roll moments for me. I'm beginning to think Breaking Bad ruined this season for me. Well, I mean, that's kind of comparing apples to oranges, if uh, if you ask me. Um, Robert Negro, uh, Negro gave it um, four scavenged apricots out of five. Um, Carol deserves some talking to, but did not deserve that. Uh, Max Sofer, 4.5 dislocated shoulders out of five. <laughs> um I, I, I always marvel at all the different uh, rating uh, systems that everyone uses. Uh, Luke Smith FX, great episode. Hopefully not the end of Carol 4 out of 5. Uh, Christopher Levine, 4.5 out of 5. Holding hands, kumbaya style. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. I liked the one-on-one type episodes. Um, uh, Adam Fatagi, a good 4 out of 5 supply runs. Uh, four out of five Bob's bottles from Leo Cavalla and Newt Knight. Four point two five out of five retro hippie cobbles. At long last, a trend of character development. Uh, so, like I said, if you want to join the uh, the discussion and the fun and uh, get in all the cool you know um, news and, and fun that we uh, we share in the group, it's the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. So I, I think we've all kind of hinted at it, but uh, let's let's put our bets out now. How soon till we see Carol again? Mid-season finale, uh, next half of the season, next season. Do we not see her till the spinoff show? My my bet, I, I'd say the strong money is on see her by the mid-season finale. I agree. At the soonest. 
We're going to see the governor balloon up to about eight or 900 pounds laying on a barge, and he's going to have Carol at the end of a chain in a brass bikini. Guta, guta, solo. He's no Jedi. (laughs) And uh, Russ, we mentioned it earlier, but I believe we also have a voicemail for this episode. We have two this week. Woohoo! And is our voicemail number back up and running? It's not back up and running yet, um, okay. but it will be very, very shortly. So uh, if anybody wants to send us a voicemail, they can record an MP3, and they can email it to us at comments at walkingdeadtv.com, and the actual uh, fake landline should be up again soon. Here we go. Hey, guys. This is Brett from Boston. It's been well over a year since I checked in with you because, frankly, Season 3 was a bit of a letdown for me, and I didn't really have the motivation to call in. But now we're four episodes into season four, and I am so satisfied with the way the show is going that I just had to send you a message and share my thoughts. Let's be honest, as fans of the comic, this is what we've been waiting for since the show first aired, right? I mean, each episode is a self-contained microplot with a beginning, middle, and end, just like the comic. And they, I don't know, they just never really managed to pull that off, uh, with a few notable exceptions in the first three seasons. Almost every major character has an interesting plot line of their own, and they're having interesting and, more importantly, believable dialogue with their fellow survivors. And the danger is more believable, the threats are more tangible, the dialogue is more often than not well-written and well-delivered, and I really feel like the show has turned a corner. And while it might be too early to get my hopes up, well, too bad, my hopes are officially up for season four. This last episode, Indifference, is really what did it for me. So we have two groups sort of independently acting. They can ping-pong between those two plot lines. And more, well, most importantly, we're away from the prison for a whole episode. And this is really the perfect timing for that. We have conflict resolutions between Michonne and Daryl. There's an escalation of the tension with Bob Stuckey. And this clearing of the air between Rick and Carol. And speaking of Rick and Carol, the departure of Carol absolutely has to be the most ballsy move uh, by the writing team since the beginning of the series. At least I feel so. I know it might not seem like much, but I think it's really significant. They they took a fairly major character who's been around since season one. They gave her a pretty interesting character arc in the last couple episodes. And they somehow managed to remove her from the group, not by death, but through a very convincing and believable sort of falling out. And I totally did not see that coming, but it really felt so right. Suffice it to say, I'm really excited for what's coming next in the show. I had sort of lost faith there for a while in season three. I didn't think the governor plotline was handled well. I didn't think Andrea got a fair shake. There was a lot that could have been done better. Um, But now in season four, Scott Gimple really seems to have a good head on his shoulders. And I think he's done what the other showrunners have failed to do, which is trust the original source material. No, he's not following it to the letter, but he's following it to the spirit. Um, Each one of these season four episodes, to me, has really felt like an issue of the comics. And that's all that we ever really wanted from the beginning. Well, that's all I got, guys. I'm a big fan of the show. Keep it up. Thank you, Brett. And uh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that the comic always does, you know, self-contained, one-and-done stories, but it certainly has been able to pull them off better than the show has um, up until this point where, where it seems to be starting starting to be able to do that. So I think both have been able to do the long-form stuff pretty well. But uh, it's nice to see the slightly more self-contained storylines with the overarching plot as well. 
I would say the um, the killing off of Rick's, you know, of Laurie, you know, the presumably the the set the co lead on the show at that point seemed like a pretty ballsy move as well. But I get I get what he's I get what Brett's trying to say for sure, and I I, I appreciated a lot of his thoughts. I think he's he made a lot of good points in his in his message. Yeah, I definitely wasn't as down on season three as maybe he was, and I I I understand that that the show kind of got that criticism, especially from the hardcores. Uh, in the last couple couple seasons, but I definitely think this is an uptick. And like I said earlier in the episode, I think a lot of that revolves around the writing. I think for whatever reason, maybe it's Scott Gimple having that writing background, taking taking the reins on the show. Uh, it just seems like the writing for me has just taken a serious uptick this season. And I have no reason to believe that moving forward, it's not gonna gonna be the same way. I think we've kind of reached the Goldilocks zone, too, as far as um, people were thinking that the Darabont run as showrunner might have been a little too slow-paced, um, and the you know Nicotero run might have been a little too fast-paced with too much action. I think Gimple's kind of got it in the just-right area, so um, I think that's why it's appealing to more people. The Glamazara run. Although, how awesome would a Nicotero run be? Awesome. <laughs> Speaking of, of, I mean, I would be happy if, if Nicotero directed more. I mean, he just seems to have a really good eye for it. Although the the negative side effect would be maybe that if he's if he's behind the camera, he's not in the in the zombie shop as often, and so there might be some some issues there. Uh, but a little bit of news before we got one more voicemail I'll play. But it just seems like a, a ripe time to to mention this. Um, and since Jordan, you're on the Breaking Bad tip this episode. Uh, <laughs> Wait, did somebody say Breaking Bad? What? Yeah, uh, I found out, or we found out, I guess, that Michelle McLaren is going to be directing the season finale of of uh, season four of The Walking Dead. So, which is awesome. For yeah, anybody who doesn't so, know Michelle McLaren, she's directed some of the best episodes of, of uh, Breaking Bad, and she directed Walking Dead once or twice before, didn't she? I believe I, so. Actually. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but knowing her uh, affinity for action oriented episodes, I I guess we could we could speculate at this point that there's going to be some fairly intense action going on, or at least some tension filled moments going on in that finale, which makes sense. Um, but I was I was happy to hear that she's going to be back behind the uh, behind the lens for some future episodes. As am I. She directed um, pretty much dead already the episode where Sophia was revealed to be in the barn. Ah, ah. yes. All right, let's play the second uh, voicemail message. This one is from Mr. Brian Fuquay, who sent us a voicemail last week. So let's hear what he has to say this week. Hey, guys, it's Brian Fuquay at Radio Fuquay on Twitter. Okay, so at the beginning of this season, we showrunner Scott Gimple revealed there's going to be some kind of story arc over the first handful of episodes of season four. Now, I'm bringing that up because... We've seen three episodes now in a row that all start with a letter I. And now it's revealed that there will be one more called Internment, and it's going to be the final one. And will that be the end of the story arc he's referring to? Will we see some stuff resolved? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But anyway, moving back to this episode, Indifference. Uh, guys, I've got to say, this was my favorite episode of the season by far. I mean, it was huge. Dude, that opening scene where Carol was talking with Lizzie was just chilling. I can't remember the last time I've seen a child actor do this well before. Be, like, be this real. D Brighton Sorbino. Yeah, that's her name. Okay. She deserves a ton of praise for this. Like, my favorite part was, like, like when she says to 
Carol that she's not afraid to kill, she's just afraid. To which Carol responds with, you can't be. And then with the most soft, vulnerable flutter in her voice, because she's starting to break and tear up, Lizzie asks, why? <laughs> Dude, that was outstanding. I rewound it and watched it over and over again. Jordan, I know you don't like kids. I know they annoy you, especially the ones in this season, but you've <laughs> got to give her credit, man. She totally deserves it. Oh anyway, yeah, I think she's moving on. Good. Uh I have signs written down in my notes. There was there were uh there was a stop sign that someone ran in this episode, which made me notice there were various shots of people floating all over the road, doing all sorts of stuff while they're driving. And I didn't know if that was an artistic decision by the director to put that in. Maybe the writers wanted to put it in to illustrate yet another nod of the title indifference that people are indifferent to the way they drive now. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, everything changes. Like every, like even, even uh, the way people drive, they're, they're changing uh, road rules. Maybe I'm reaching, <laughs> but uh, I just thought it was worth noticing. Okay. Uh, the Jasper stone. Uh, I thought it was a cool thing to, to, show the Jasper stone with him being all nice and whatever, but they kept cutting back to that Jasper stone. Like, am I, am I, am I, am I missing something here? Like they really wanted you to notice that thing. Like, or is it something that's going to be revealed in a future episode? I just wondering, wondering what you guys thought about that. Um, anyway, Carol, Carol's gone. Dude. Like she, Melissa McBride is just now in the opening credits instead of an also starring, and she's gone? What? <laughs> I, I, I'm in disbelief. Like, I mean, obviously the character's going to make it. She's tough as nails now. But uh, I'm, I'm just blown. What? Anyway. Uh, I know I'm going a little long this week, but uh, I just wanted to wrap up with this. And that was uh, Sam, Sam and Anna. Now, we see Anna's leg in that yard. And it, we're supposed to be, I think we're supposed to be led to believe that the zombies drug her away and all we have left now is her leg. But that cut, that sever on that leg was, it was way too clean to be a That's zombie what I said. limb from limb type wound. Now, if it was any other kind of show, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But the Walking Dead special effects and makeup team they're they're acclaimed for their attention to detail, so this will be a pretty big mistake uh, to have it look like that. I I, I think they're above that. I, I think this was intentional. So, was it foul play, or was it just bad luck for Anna? Anyway, I just thought it was worth bringing up. So, thanks for the podcast. Look forward to hearing it. It's one of my favorites to listen to every week, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye. Well, thank you for the voicemail, Brian, and thank you for backing me up on my whole that severed leg didn't look right theory. Uh, we'll see, of course. But, uh, yeah, I, I like um, the girl who plays Lizzie. I think she's doing a fine job, and I think I've been pretty consistent about that. I think the, the child acting, uh, that first episode where there was like four or five kids standing around talking about the zombies, yeah, that was grating and annoying. But the, the two girl, the two main girls I've been just fine with. Yeah, I agree. I, I haven't had any problem with the, the child acting on this show. We kind of we kind of breezed past the Jasper Stone and and Daryl, and he kind of brought that up as a, as a point. Yeah, what it was in the plot, if I remember correctly, 
was uh, he picks up the Jasper Stone off the ground, and him and Michonne are talking about it. That's where the, she has that really awkward smile towards him. But uh, she asks him, what's it for? And he mentions the name of somebody back at camp. who I, I believe he said they wanted him to keep an eye out for Jasper Stone to use on a gravestone for their significant other, for their dead husband or their dead wife or something. Um, and so that's what he was picking it up for. And she was surprised that he knew the names of everybody from Woodbury because there were so many people. And uh, he makes the comment, hey, you spend a couple hours you know, making an effort to you know, try to get to know people and you'd be amazed what you'd learn. And uh, that kind of shuts her down a little bit uh, after she gives him that big smile. But uh, so he, he, Brian, being he, not Daryl, uh, said they focused on it a lot. I, I don't know that I'd say they focused on it a lot in the episode. They, they pointed it out a few times. But uh, maybe it's just there to symbolize human connection and actually taking the time to, you know, look for the the humanity in somebody. I mean, we, we also see that that idea, that theme referenced with Carol and Lizzie's discussion about the humanity of the zombies, if it exists. Uh, we have it with the Carol and um, Rick discussions where they're discussing, you know, what was the humane thing to do with Karen and uh, and David. Um, so I can see it being a visual metaphor for um, some of the other, the, the emotional themes running through the show. But I didn't think it was overdone. I, I'm not saying that Brian said that either, but I think it was appropriately used. What I what I took away from that is that Daryl, I mean they brought they brought up the thing early on and Michonne made a joke, and what you're taking away is that Daryl knows people enough so he's able to, and he's communicating that to Michonne and he's telling her okay we uh, <laughs> like you should stay around you'll learn things like I have like about these the stone or what have you and then you see it later on when he's playing with and he's fr- no, he's not playing he's frustrated by it it's because he's while Michonne is you know she's she's been she's like she's convinced at this point that maybe she should stick around he's also annoyed that we. With um, Daryl learning things about people, while it's you know it's good, it helps about you know makes you friendly or whatever, makes you feel like you're integrated into the group more. You also learn things that you maybe you don't want to learn, such as Bob's alcoholism and how that kind of, that ended up you know pissing him off. Like Daryl tried to impart some knowledge onto Bob and tell him you know it's not your fault that Zach died and what have you, but then it turns around on him and Bob did something that was really foolhardy and really made him angry and uh, you know regretting opening him up up to Bob perhaps. So it's it it just felt like a little mini arc for Daryl, if anything. While it also you know connects to the greater story going on involving the other characters like Michonne and Bob and what have you. And the other thing that Brian mentioned in the voicemail was the use of uh, the repeating pattern of I titled episodes. Uh, this one being indifference, next week's um, being another word that starts with the letter I. Um, I have no idea what that could mean, but I'm going to guess that it's a coded message letting us know that by the end of these four episodes, someone will be wearing glasses. <laughs> so without any further ado that's it for this week's episode we're going to do our outro now of course and then we will look forward towards next week on The Walking Dead so until next time if you'd like to leave us a voicemail well record an mp3 and send it through an email to comments at walkingdeadtv.com and the actual voicemail number should be up soon or you can just send us a regular email at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. We'd love to get it. We'd love to hear more voicemails. They're awesome. It's nice to hear them again. Uh, check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows, like Half Hour Wasted, Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now, Jersey Shore, The Ichapod, Cranecast, talking about Sleepy Hollow over there on Fox, or even The Shield podcast, talking about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over on ABC. If you like it, if it's nerdy, there's a good chance we're talking about it on some podcast or three or four at hhwlod.com or walkingdeadtv.com. Lots of fun stuff. 
And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. Aaron is at Aaron's PS3. Russ is at R Latham. And Jim is at Yoda Jones. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, I really, really, really like Breaking Bad. And next week on The Walking Dead, reminder, this could be mildly spoilery, although it's a very vague episode description we have from AMC. Uh, Season 4, Episode 5 will be entitled Internment. It'll be the fourth of four I-titled episodes. And the uh, very vague synopsis we have from AMC is Multiple Enemies Put Pressure on Rick and the group. What does it mean? We don't know, but we'll know it in less than a week. absolutely nothing. It's <laughs> as vague as almost every other synopsis they give. No offense. Next week on The Walking I mean, Dead, zombies may appear as the group does stuff. <laughs> yes, and things. Stuff and things. Stuff and things. and things. I love food and stuff. It's where I buy all my food and most of my stuff. And things. Hey, hey, did you guys, you guys saw my Halloween costume, correct? The... Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, Aaron dressed up as uh, uh, Lee from Lee, the Walking Dead game. Lee, and Lee Everett. I was at the perfect geeky party because there were lots of gamers there and they all got it, so I was very happy with that. Nice. And I loved your little awesome. Xbox controller uh, pad there, button pad. It had to, a, uh, I, had written, I had written phrases on the back of it, too, so you could select a, a, a button and I'd respond to, like, my name is Lee, or I'm looking for Clementine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Of course, well voiced by the awesome Dave Fenoy, voice of Hulu and Hulu Plus. <laughs> well, I think that's it for this week's episode. I'm Jordan. He's Aaron. He's Russ. He's Jim. Have a good week, everybody. Hello. Hi, welcome to the Dracula podcast for the Jonathan Reeves Meyer series on NBC. <laughs> I enjoyed the first episode. I haven't watched the second yet. It is it's it's, uh, I, it's kind of like in the Sleepy Hollow thing of being goofy enough that it works for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> it kind of also reminded me of the Sherlock Holmes uh Robert Downey Jr. movies. Yeah. They kind of recast a character well, in a new new light. What it feels like it's like it's um Bruce Wayne the TV show, it just happens to be Dracula. It's set in the Right late 1800s so but it's like playboy millionaire by day uh, this dark avenger guy by night it's like he just happens to be yeah, instead yeah. Of a superhero that is true that was breaking back breaking drac the uh, talk show that comes on after dracula every friday Defense night now for instance that is a show i'm very familiar with arnold willis mr drummond and don't forget kimberly Hey, somebody named Darren Newworth just posted this James Franco review <laughs> of As I Lay Dying at Why So Blue. Yes, I did. Is that, um... I, oh, I can't even remember the joke. What's his brother's name? Dave. Is that Dave Franco's brother, Jim, James Franco? Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's James Franco of the of the, of the the Franco fame. <laughs> wow. The Lower East Side the, Francos? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get this uh, ball rolling. <laughs> Beware of the apocalypse today, guys. Hey, how's my audio quality right now? You sound fine. Sounds all right. All right. I got like a weird waveform, but... 
No, okay. It's okay. It's fine now. Maybe you'll still, maybe hopefully you'll still find a girl that'll like you. <laughs> it's unlikely at this point. Anyway, uh, all right. Hey, everybody. And if you have a weird waveform. Hey, everybody. Sorry. What? Hey. Or we'll all be going, ay, 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 Yes. Uh, what's what's the uh, uh, racist uh, mouse cartoon? Speedy Gonzalez? Yes, but Speedy Gonzalez will be making his first appearance post-apocalypse. Let's stick with the four-eye joke. That was genius. <laughs> <laughs> we can maybe, maybe it's incognito, and they go to Miami to beat the hell out of that guy that plays for the Miami Dolphins. That is a joke I do not understand, but I'm sure uh, it's funny. Do you not watch the news? No. Uh, Especially when it's revolving around sports. Well, that killed the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else loves sports, apparently.